Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Francoeur, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a very special guest on the line, Roxanne Bobian. I first met Roxanne at London Police Headquarters in London, Ontario, when I was touring their garage, actually, after the World LPG Association highlighted the service's autopropane story. We hit it off immediately, and I've been thrilled to publish some of her articles as well as follow her success with internal campaigns. More about that in a second. Roxanne is an award-winning strategist, a trusted advisor, and a former journalist with 20-plus years of policing communications experience at the local, provincial, and national level. Starting as a former crime reporter, she was most recently the corporate communications and media relations manager with the London Police Service. She now owns and operates Duty Calls Communications, which offers strategic communications and media relations for emergency services. Roxanne, thank you so much for your time and for virtually joining us. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Great to have you here. So first off, congratulations on launching Duty Calls Communications. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit more. How's it, that all been? Uh, things are going relatively well, considering what's going on in the world right now. Um, you know, it's not exactly the best time in the world to launch a company, but I've had some clients come in. So i um, been doing some consulting and some training and uh it's been a really interesting experience. Yes, I can only imagine. And it's, it's only going to pick up. So there we go. Some positive vibes thrown that out there for you. Exactly. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. We're turning that corner as we speak, I think. Fingers <laughs> crossed. So tell me more about where this idea came from, because there, there's a real need for this, right? Well, I think there is. So I, after, you know, the 20 years in um, working in policing services, for the most part, I thought of uh, going out on my own. And I, it's been percolating in the back of my mind for a little while. So I've, it was just good timing to, to go out and try it. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was good timing to go out and try it on my own. So um, I decided that I would focus on emergency services, particularly policing. And I think that there's a real need, especially in small and mid-sized services, the large major services have communications advisors and they have professional communications who are civilians and, and specially trained and expertise in this area, but small and mid-sized ones can't necessarily afford to have them. So I think there's a real need there. I also think that there's a real need for training, for media relations training. Uh, there's limited training depending on where you are in the country. So duty calls, communications will be when training is allowed to happen again. One of the main focuses of the business model is uh, training for crisis communications and uh, general media relations training for spokespeople. 
Very exciting. Yes, uh, I know it's a, it's a conversation we have uh, quite a bit, you know, officers, that number one question, what can I share and what can't I share? Uh, it seems to always be weighing heavily on their mind. Um, so anything we can do to decrease that anxiety that they have when talking to the media, by all means, right? Yeah, we, you know, get them in front of a camera, give them some opportunity to practice looking at that lens and then watch themselves. And, you know, in, in previous classes that I've done, you, it's amazing what you can see in terms of progress over a week, you know, or four days, however long the training is from their very first interview and the first news release they write to the end of it, they're feeling much more confident, much more comfortable, and in not only knowing what they can and can't say legally, but in knowing how to present that and go back to their main messaging and, and that sort of thing. So it's really rewarding to see the difference between the first mock interviews you do with them and then at the end of it, when they're graduating, how much more confident and competent they are. Yes. Yeah. The more you do it, right? So you had some great advice in an article you shared with us a couple of months ago now, right when uh, uh, the pandemic uh, kind of really raised its head. So that was on communications related issues to consider as we, we dealt with COVID-19 and agencies crisis uh, communications plans. So for those that might have missed that article, just maybe refresh our memories. What has been uh, your number one tip for police agencies as we kind of navigate these, these challenging times? Well, in the article, the first thing I talked about was the need to communicate with your employees. Um, you know, it's an anxious time for everybody in society. I think, you know, first responders have an added level of of stress or because of what they're exposed to in doing their jobs. And, you know, their families are affected like every other family. I'm sure that some spouses have lost jobs or been laid off, their kids are at home. There's a whole lot going on. So you really wanna make sure that they're taken care of and that they're informed. And then in the early stages, there's a lot of policing agencies were communicating out directly to the public about what kind of changes were going on with access to headquarters or police buildings, that sort of thing, which was great. You know, social media, you need to want to monitor what you're doing. If you had your schedule planned out for an extended period of time, you wanted to make sure that you took down anything that wasn't necessarily appropriate. And I think that the communications focus has changed. We're in a new normal now. It's no longer crisis mode. It's, it's, it's maintaining and reminding people that this is, this is what you do if you have a complaint about groups gathering. You call the city, call the municipality. Um, this is what you call 911 for. We're going to continue to screen you when you call 911. And we need you to answer honestly just so that we, we're going to come. But just so that we can be prepared for whatever we might encounter, those kinds of things. I think the next phase is that as things start to open up again, agencies will need to communicate with the public in terms of how are headquarters buildings and facilities going to reopen to the public? What are the expectations when you come in? Do you need to wear a mask? Do you need to, uh, will you be screened at the door? And also letting employees know that what those changes are going to be, how it's going to affect them. Really just remembering to make sure that you're taking care of your employees as well as informing the public. Very well said. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know when we'll see our next handshake. That's for sure, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so based on what you've seen, you, you kind of gave us a bit of a clue uh, 
what you were impressed with. But um, over the last couple of months, how would you say overall, you know, Canadian law enforcement has been doing in terms of uh, managing this pandemic from from the comms perspective, of course? Is there any particular case studies you want to point to? Uh, Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts uh, as you look back over the last two months. Well, I think that from the services that I follow, and I haven't done, you know, a cross-country look, I've looked at the major services and some of the smaller ones, and I think that one thing that is consistent pretty much across the board is almost every service on their main web page has a COVID section. So this is what's going on, this is what's changed, that sort of thing, which is, which is perfect. People can find it right at the very beginning. And then a lot of organizations are also tweeting out messaging from public health and and those kinds of things as reminders. We're seeing a lot more, unfortunately, um, because of the stunt driving that seems to be going on all over the place. We're seeing a lot more messaging about, you know, the speed limit is still the speed limit, which needs to be reinforced and getting those kinds of messages out. But, you know, overall, I think that a lot of police services, their chiefs have done videos talking directly to citizens you know, reassuring them that the police will be there if you need them, if there's an emergency. Um, so I think that from from what I've seen, most have done a relatively good job to a great job in terms of communicating with their audiences externally. I don't have an inside look at what's going on internally, but um, externally, you know, I think they've done very well. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the videos of the chiefs, like even just just washing their hands and and saying, "This is how you do it, guys. This is tw- what twenty seconds looks like." I, I thought that was a a great way to kind of uh, not only be transparent but just connect with your your citizens, right? Right. Like we're all going through this together. Exactly. So we've been talking a lot about uh, mental health as well during these times. Um, some of us are social distancing, some of us are working from home. Uh, everybody's anxious and just concerned about uh, the future, of course. So you ran an award-winning internal mental health awareness campaign for London Health uh, or London Police Service, sorry, and it was called Stronger Than You Know. So what from that campaign do you think will be really useful to officers going forward in the weeks and, and months, of course, uh, to come? Well, first of all, I want to say my unit led the campaign, but there was a team. So it wasn't just me. I want to say that first. I think, you know, one of the important things about that campaign and and doing that kind of outreach, anti-stigma work internally is that it creates an environment where it's okay to talk about being stressed out. It's okay to talk about um, that you're feeling challenged, that, you know, things are overwhelming. And you know, the London Police Service, I think, has done an amazing job and has incredible commitment from the senior office right on down um, in supporting mental wellness initiatives that have included not only the Stronger Than You Know campaign, but also, you know, they did a, a full day conference for first responders in this whole region. Um, they're looking at policies, they're making sure that there's the appropriate supports, they've hired psychologists, so they're doing lots of things that are all creating this environment where people were feeling much more open about talking about the stresses that they face. And, you know, in this particular time, as I said, officers, first responders, they're dealing with the um, the unknown out there. Are they going to be exposed? Are they going to bring it, you know, concerns about bringing it home to their family? 
all of those kinds of things. So I think it's a, a really important time for people to be able to say, I'm struggling and to know that they're going to get the support that they need. Very well said. Um, police communication staff in particular, is there anything that you think they should be aware of um, in terms of internal mental health or anyone uh, working in comms concerned about officer well-being? Do you have any overall tips or advice for them during uh, COVID-19 as we uh, manage this situation? Well, I think, you know, recognizing that the corporate communication side, so there's the 911 communication side, which obviously we we know that there's a lot of stress and pressure there. One thing that is often not necessarily talked about is that there's a lot of pressure on the corporate communications and the media relations officers and staff right now. You know, in the midst of a crisis, there's a lot of material that needs to be put out quickly. So recognizing that they need to take care of themselves too, and then you know also being sure that they're uh, when they're speaking with senior leaders and they're asked to communicate with the public and just making sure that are we talking to our people as well are we talking to our people first often you want your messages to go internal first because you don't want your people to be the last one to know about some kind of significant change so i think you know the the message would be to make sure that you take care of yourself for the communications and media relations personnel, and then to make sure that you are um, communicating not only with the public, but also with internal audiences as well, and stakeholders and partners and boards and that sort of thing. That's really been key, even when I was talking with some various police leaders across the country, you know, the, the communications part overall, uh, all encompassing has been uh, the number one priority for the ones that I talk to for sure. Yeah, so that's putting a lot of pressure on those people who yeah. are working in those areas. Yeah, exactly. Taking a bit of a different turn, uh, I know you're very passionate about brand development in police agencies and effectively managing that brand. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious, what is the biggest mistake that we make in law enforcement when it comes to branding, in your opinion? Well, I'm speaking very generally, but I think that... Um, it's easy to say redesign your logo or, or change the look of your material and feel like you've completely rebranded, but branding is more than your logo. It's, it's more than your chief um, and his or her personality. It's more than your media relations officer. Branding is what somebody feels and thinks when they see something uh, that represents your organization, something or someone. So do they feel trust? Do they feel like you're transparent? Do they feel that you're accountable? Do they feel that you're community-minded? Um, that sort of thing. So it's so much bigger than what you see on TV. I, I have spoken about the branding gap. You know, it's really important to talk to your public. So to talk to your employees, to talk to the citizens, stakeholders, partners, how do they perceive the service? How do they perceive the organization? What words come to mind when they think about the, the organization? And, and there's data out there and there's a lot of organizations that do, you know, kind of the barometer on trust. And uh, do you trust your police? Do you feel safe in your neighborhood? Those kinds of things. Taking that data and then 
do you want to change that perception? Do you need to improve in certain areas? And, and looking internally about at your history and what do you want people to think when they think about your organization? And is there a difference between that research that you've done and what you ideally want the people to think and feel? So, you know, that's the gap and you need to pay attention to that gap. And everything you do and everything anybody does in your organization needs to represent your ideal target. So, you know, people have to live and breathe your mission, vision, values. If you're going to really live that, everybody has to buy in. And, you know, you have to build up your, your public goodwill, that bank account of, of goodwill with the public uh, by the actions of every single member. So it's just, it's a lot bigger than the, the logo or the public persona that is, is on television. It has to be reflected in everything you do and every interaction and that it has to be a much more kind of uh, systemic change when you're rebranding than, than just changing your letterhead or that sort of thing. To be really be effective, it needs to be a lot deeper than, than changing the look of things. I like that. And it's such a, a, a deep way of looking at um, how to really humanize as well um, the brand and, and make the faces uh, visible and, and the mission statement more palpable, I guess, uh, in the long run. Yeah, and there's, uh, you know, lots of great examples of, you know, the access that we have to technology and the ability um, for police services to tell their own stories and to profile their own people and to show all the good work that's being done provides so many great opportunities to really show that you are living that vision, you are living those values. Um, there's so many opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. Podcast being one of them, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's chat a little bit more about you um, because I, I, I love uh, your resume and how you, you know, cut your teeth as a crime reporter. I, I started uh, in a newsroom myself. So uh, you got to tell me what is your most memorable moment in, in police communications uh, so far? Um, I've had some amazing opportunities and worked with some amazing people all across the country. I've been very fortunate. But probably one of the most memorable was I was working for the RCMP in Ottawa and tragically one of our officers uh, was murdered in Alberta, in St. Albert, Alberta in um, 2015. Um, and I was deployed out to provide to support the communications people based in K division. And it was, it was an incredible, tragic, um, heartbreaking experience. But at the end of the day, I think of it as my most rewarding experience because we were able to I, was, I got to be part of this incredible team that put together a memorial that honored Constable Wynn um, in a way that his family was, was satisfied with. You know, they, they, it was really respectful of their wishes. And at the same time, it, it honored him and the, the, you know, the sacrifice that, that he made in 
trying to protect Canadians. Very profound. Wow. I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a, an amazing experience and, and so tragic. Right. I mean, was that also your most challenging moment then, would you say? Um, I think that the most challenging thing across the board, there's, there is no one moment, but I think that probably civilians that might be listening to this will understand uh, that the biggest challenge is being accepted as an expert in your, in your field. For the longest time, communications has always been handled by, by police officers. And I think that there's a growing recognition of the value that civilians bring and the, the value of working in coordination with foreign officers. So I think that that has been probably the biggest challenge as, as the years has, have gone by and um, more so in the early part of, of your career, but it's building that trust that um, as a civilian, I can know what I'm talking about. I absolutely have no idea what it feels like to be a police officer. I have never walked the beat, but I know what questions to ask you and I know how to get that information from you and share with the audience that I'm preparing this material for. Right. Yeah. And I, I concur. I, I'm noticing a change as well in terms of um, uh, even just the recruitment talk, right? And and uh, bringing more civilians in and uh, the value that they bring to these the services. So that kind of transitions beautifully into to my next question, where I, I'm curious, where, where do you think there is room for more improvement overall in uh, Canadian um, media relations for emergency services? I think that... I guess there's two sides of this in terms of what can emergency response workers improve? So what can the police service improve? And it's always a challenge to find time for training, you know, to take people off the street and, and do training. But the more subject matter experts who are trained that we're able to offer up, you know, for feature stories or, or that sort of thing, um, as spokespeople, you know, the more transparent policing looks. So that's one side. The other side, I think, is media's accountability. There is so much change in media. There is so much competition to be first, to break big, huge stories. And there isn't a strong mechanism to hold media accountable. So an example that I use is the Unfounded series that the Globe and Mail did. And and I'll start by saying by, that there are absolutely good things that came out of that series. There were good changes made in many policing services across the country. And, you know, moving to a more trauma-informed interview approach, absolutely critical. Having, you know, case reviews um, that some agencies have decided to go with could very important in terms of building that trust with the community. So the definition of unfounded at that time was uh, much more all-encompassing than it was made to look like in the story. So it, they equated unfounded with not believed, which just simply was not the case. Unfounded meant uh, cases cleared as a result of a variety of different things. So one of the pros that has come out of that is that unfounded now means unfounded. It's, they, there's a different case 
clearance mechanisms there now. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I know for a fact that there are several agencies that had that conversation about what unfounded actually means, um, actually meant at that time. But where's the accountability to hold the media to account in terms of not telling the full story, I guess? And, and where are we going to go as the media gets smaller newsrooms, less resources, less money, more competitive, you know, hyper competitive with social media, where is that going to take us? Um, so I have concerns about how media are going to be held to account by the public. And, and don't get me wrong, they need to be there. We're a democracy, critical part of a democracy. Was a reporter believe in the value of, of good journalism, fair, balanced journalism? And how do we hold them accountable to that? That's a great point. And, and you know, it's something, uh, you know, I even bring up from time to time, just, just in my lamenting of the loss of fact checkers in numerous publications, numerous uh, organizations. It's, uh, uh, I think, really detrimental in the long run. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's interesting. We've kind of touched on this already, but uh, with the more training, uh, but I'm just curious your opinion for five, maybe 10 years down the road, you know, in an ideal future, that, that utopia, uh, what does police communications, police media relations, what, what does that look like to you in that future? Well, I think media relations will always be an important part of communications, but it's, an, it's also important to recognize that media relations is only one component. It may be the most visible from, you know, the perspective of watching the TV news, reading the newspaper, that sort of thing, listening to the radio, but it's only one component. And I think the other parts of communication, so speaking directly to your audience, uh, speaking directly to the public, I think that that is going to become more and more prominent as technology continues to change. Uh, in that you're able to develop your own stories easier. So video technology, editing technology, um, design technology, and as services continue to bring in the civilian professionals um, who are able to execute those tactics and, and put them out there through social media, through the website, you know, doing things like podcasts, directly talking to audiences, Facebook live sessions, you're seeing more and more of that all the time. I just see that growing over the next five to 10 years. In terms of media, like the news business, who knows what it's going to look like. You know, um, we just had last week, post media shut down a whole bunch of more small town newspapers. So, you know, like these towns for policing services to get their messages out to their citizens, they have to take it into their own hands and get that information out because regional publications are not going to be reporting on what's going on in, in small detachment areas. Um, policing services are going to have to take even more ownership of getting those messages out to people directly and, and technology is going to lead that. 
Yes, and, and hopefully technology will make that a little bit more easy and efficient and because uh, that's yet another hat, right, for, for everybody to, to put on in the police world anyways. Exactly. All right. Well, if you've caught any of our previous episodes, you know we, we end each one with kind of two fun questions to give listeners more of an inside scoop uh, about you. So that being said, uh, what is something your clients or for that matter, your former police colleagues might not have known about you? Okay. I always use this one for the icebreaker game about what does, what would somebody never know about you? So when I was a reporter, I actually got to do some very, very cool things, but the coolest was I got to fly with snowbirds. Ah, that's amazing. Oh my goodness. It It was truly amazing. And I was very impressed. I managed to keep down my lunch and, um, yeah, but it was it was cool. I was on a media ride along, and we flew out over Lake Huron and um, upside down. And I did have to call Uncle a couple of times with, yeah. with the negative G's. And um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing experience. Were you able to walk afterwards? <gasps> yes, it was all good. <laughs> there you go. You must have been a pilot in another life. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, what's the one thing that you couldn't live without as someone in uh, police communications? Well, the obvious answer would be my phone um, because it does everything. But um, I think probably, you know, just like a lot of people in policing, um, probably the most important thing is a sense of humor because uh, some days you you just got to laugh. Beautiful, wise words to wrap this session up. I I couldn't agree more. Roxanne, thank you so much for making the time for us today. Uh, I can't wait to see what Duty Calls gets up to this year. Make sure you keep us posted and stay safe out there. Well, thank you. I will. You too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us under Annex Business Media, podcasts for work. Also, check out our podcast tab on blueline.ca. Thank you to everyone listening, especially those out on the front lines protecting our communities. Stay safe, stay positive, stay grounded, and stay connected. Till next time. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 